so they're like, where do you want us to mail your stuff? I never went back to that apartment. Like they kicked me out, out. Uh, and I was broke, so came back to Kansas City. There was like the one flight, they would give me one flight. I came back to Kansas City, uh, crashed on a friend's couch and had to start back over from there. It was, uh, it was, a, it was a sucky year to wrap that one up. Cam F. Awesome. In 2012, after failing his third drug test, Cam F. Awesome was no longer the front runner for Olympic boxing. Suspended, broke, and 50 pounds overweight, he was given a one-way ticket back to Kansas City. Add alcohol addiction on top of everything else, he eventually changed his name and found a new identity. It's our guy, Cam F. Awesome. Cam, F awesome. Appreciate you, man, taking some time uh, to join myself and my, and my partner Kyle Decker here on the Underdog Podcast. Awesome. Thanks for having me, guys. Definitely. Definitely. We're trying to figure out, did a little research, the F. You said it's fun. It can be another F word. <laughs> we got, we got yeah. whatever the F is, right? Is that to start off with this? Yeah, uh, I think it should be left up to interpretation. Uh, John Kennedy doesn't <laughs> just doesn't sound the same as John F. Kennedy. So Cam Awesome, and if you also Google Cam Awesome, it's just like a bunch of Cam girls. It's yeah. So I, I always try to keep the F in there. Yeah, well, we can't, the F. we can't wait to. No, I, I love it. Don't Google. Yeah, no, I, lo- I love the uh, Cam F. Awesome. When you change your name, we'll go in through your story of the, the why behind it, which really fits our platform, as we discussed with you, Cam, uh, previously before recording of your journey and your story of overcoming adversity, which is the Underdog Podcast, right? Yep. And so we're super excited. Uh, your friend Ed Lattimore uh, referred you over, and we can't wait. And also with Black History Month, we're going to talk a lot of the things that you do within diversity inclusion in the podcast, as well as your story. And so with that said, let's get right into it, Calvin. Let's make it happen. Um, so let's jump in. I want to go back. Um, we'll go back to really kind of how you got your start uh, in, in boxing. I know you were cut from, you know, every team imaginable in high school. Uh, and, and I think kind of how that trajectory played out. But as far as your underdog moment, um, 2012, around 2012, um, you were ultimately the front runner. You I mean, you were representing the country for, you know, going into the Olympics and everything. And, you ultimately, over an 18-month span, missed you know the missed the drug test uh, three different times, and that basically was led to your suspension and, and a downward spiral. Um, can you take us back to that moment and in, in, in those events that in that year and really kind of how your life kind of spiraled out of control? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, so just running back to 2008. In 2008, <clears throat> like uh, that was the first year I won nationals, uh, and all the uh, all the top guys turned, they already turned pro from the last Olympics. So in my mind, I was like, I, I have no interest in being a boxer, but if I'm the best guy right now, I like to travel. So I decided like boxing's not going to be my career or anything, but I'm just going to have some fun. So I would win and then I get to represent the country and I get to go travel. So that was, uh, the traveling part was the reason why I did it all. Like, and I, I love boxing, but I did, I did love traveling. Uh, and then I would, I was winning every year. And then 2010, I believe that's when I was, 
I moved to LA and I was living with Ed Lattimore. He was my roommate. Uh, but basically I would be out of the country more than I would be in the country. And, uh, so the, the way it is with the drug testing is, uh, they want to know where you are 365, like 24 hours around the clock. So if you go, let's say you go to a Calvin, you go to a pool party at 3 PM, you have to send them a text message to let them know you won't have your phone on you just in case you call. If you go to a sporting game and you don't have service and they call you during that time, that's a missed call. That's a missed test. So missed tests happen all the time. No one's ever been up to the point for me uh, in 2012. No one's ever been suspended for the missed test. They don't test you for weed, coke, heroin, crack, Adderall, meth, whatever. They don't test you for any. I'm, I'm not even sure what they test you for. Just the performance enhancers. Uh, but I did miss three of those tests. And I was the first person to be suspended uh, because of that. Now, at the time, I was pissed off because, like, I don't do drugs. And also, if you saw me at, at that time, I was fighting super heavyweight. I was a little chubster, too. I was about 235, 240. Like, I didn't look like I was doing anything either. Uh, and now, in hindsight... I realized it, it was my job to send text messages and it's like a parole officer and I should have treated it such. Uh, but after I got, got suspended, uh, first of all, I was extremely embarrassed uh, because my, my MySpace and Facebook had n- everything was just about me going to the Olympics. It was like my life. If you didn't want to talk to me about boxing in the Olympics, I didn't want to talk to you. Like that's how like invested I was in that. And then I lost that and I felt like I had nothing. Uh, I was living out in LA with, uh, with Ed. Uh, we were part of this heavyweight boxing program out there. And they're like, well, now that you're suspended, you can't come back here uh, because this is for boxers. So they're like, where do you want us to mail your stuff? I never went back to that apartment. Like they kicked me out, out. Uh, and I was broke. So came back to Kansas City. There was like the one flight. They would give me one flight. I came back to Kansas City. Uh, crashed on a friend's couch and had to start back over from there. It was a it was a, it was a sucky year to wrap that one up. <laughs> yeah, that's a lot of adversity, right? We talk about the event, right? That's a huge event in someone's life, in your life, right, Cam? So your response coming from that point, right? Sounds like that's pretty much was that rock bottom for you? Would you say? Uh, no, that's that's uh that. I got a, it's funny. It's like, that wasn't rock bottom. That was when I got accused of doing drugs. And then that's when I started drinking and actually doing drugs. So I had a, a bad few months bender after that, uh, gained a lot of weight, got up to 287. So I was about fighting about 235, 240. And I got up to my highest weight was 287. Uh, and that's when I ran out of all money and needed to do something for money. And the only skill I had because I dropped out of college to box. Uh, and I didn't do anything else in my life other than boxing. I didn't have a backup plan. Uh, I just had to be a fat personal trainer. So I had to somehow get clients while trying to lose weight simultaneously. Wow. That sounds like that's not an easy task. That's for sure. And and one thing you said there is you didn't have a plan B and you always hear for people who've become successful, don't have a plan B. Kyle didn't have a plan B when he came out of college and started, you know, started our company here at the job center. You didn't have a plan B. 
So can you talk about not having a plan B and what that did for your drive to say, okay, I'm this rock bottoms on its way. I know you said you personal trainer was a quote where people said, I don't want a fat personal trainer. What are you going to do for me? But I think that's kind of plays into, okay, like something has to change. So not having a plan B, can you kind of elaborate on that? Yeah. uh, First of all, the advice that I live by, I don't give anyone because it may not work. Uh, I'm a risk taker. Like I, I have certain values in life. Like for one, I don't care. I don't care what I wear. I don't care how nice, as long as my place is clean, it doesn't need to be big. I just don't want, I don't want to have a job. I don't want anyone to be able to tell me what to do. Like I need that freedom. And if that, if that takes me living in a van and traveling around the country, that's just what I need to do. Uh, I believe someone without a safety net is less likely to fall. Love that. Say that. So someone without a safety net is less likely to fall a little bit. Like you said, it's burn the bridge or burn the boats for the bridge. You can't get back or the boats, whatever the saying is butchering that one. But the same thing is, you know, you you can't look back. Right. And it's a little bit to my, people have different philosophies. Cam, that's a lot like me. Um, You know, when I'm all in, I'm all in. And and I don't really think of, uh, you know, failure as an option. So uh, that can put you in some peculiar situations, just like you face. But that mindset, you said, okay, it sounds like you were self-aware at some point, right? Where you got to that 287 pounds, sounds like substance abuse was a problem at that point. And then can you take us through that journey back up, right? So then now you, I think, hit rock bottom, right? So when you balloon yeah. up, your personal training, you're broke, you're living on a couch, it sounds like substance abuse is a problem. Take us to that journey of overcoming and now obviously you're a well-known uh you know mc speaker keynote speaker diversity inclusion consultant you have a huge following whether it's twitter or across the country so build us to that journey our listeners of how you overcame that Uh, actually weirdly uh i lost the bet manny pacquiao versus timothy bradley back in 2012 in june and i can tell you that because that's when i I lost that bet had to become vegan for 28 days I uh, had to do this Engine 2 28-day challenge, and the diet also entailed sobriety. So I'm a man on board. I clean. I said I was clean myself up for the 28 days and uh, ended up losing 32 pounds in 28 days and realized, like, I didn't like the person that I was becoming, and I needed to, something needed to change. Uh, and I wanted to symbolically kill off the old me, start life with a whole new attitude, and force myself to be in a position to always be awesome. So I took... I went to town hall and uh, legally changed my last name to awesome to actually exude it. And like, I'm committed to living an awesome life now. I can't even be hangry with the last name. Awesome. (laughs) I love that. So you were previously Lenroy Thompson, right? Yeah. So you symbolically, like you said, you wanted to, you know, get rid of that old person per se, start this new life. And then you go to cam F awesome. And then you just start, like they said, you yeah, start living an awesome life, right? And you start to take care of yourself and start to do things. Yeah, and and I think people, it, it's and I, I'm I'm a part of the population as well. Like we we see the way life is going, and we're doing the same thing, and we think that it's like a, a feedback loop or a predetermined code. Like you can change everything about yourself at any given moment. You don't actually owe anyone, but we feel this obligation of oh, if 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 I. If I start wearing a suit every day to work, 
everyone's gonna be like, oh, he thinks he's cool or something. And you get self-conscious and you don't make these changes. And you're actually not changing because other people aren't allowing you to. So the idea of like changing my last thing to awesome was me just saying, yeah, I'm actually changing everything about myself. Yes, I used to be, uh, I used to be loud and obnoxious. I can change that about myself. I can be a more caring person. I can be a better person. I can be more healthy. Uh, and I decided at that point I was going to change a lot about my life and everything in my life. Uh, even though it hasn't all been successes, I wouldn't see any of them as failures. Uh, I got back to boxing. I won nationals that first year and won nationals every year after that. Uh, returned to uh, 2016 Olympic trials. I won the 2016 Olympic trials. Uh, ran through it pretty easily, uh, but then lost in uh, in the Olympic qualifying competition uh, in, I believe, it was Argentina. And I didn't get to compete in the 2016 Rio Games. And that was heartbreaking, but this time I had a plan B uh, because what I've been doing the previous four years was I was working on my speaking. I would speak at schools. Uh, I've spoken at, I've probably done thousands of free speaking engagements at schools. I would go to, I would call up gym teachers, ask to take over the gym class and give the same speech seven times in a day because I wanted to learn how to speak. I wanted to learn how to, to tell a story, manipulate a crowd, like use the emotion. And uh, I did that through stand-up comedy as well. I knew I wasn't the greatest stand-up comic, but I felt like I needed practice. I needed repetitions because I wanted to get good at speaking because this was going to be my backup plan after, after boxing was done. Because at this point, I do not want to turn professional in boxing. It was only to travel. And to this day, I don't want to turn pro. It was only to travel. How did your childhood, because we talked about it early on, you know, getting cut from every sports team, that's a lot of adversity. And you now, as you said, you're traveling, you're speaking, you know, diversity, inclusion, and you're doing all. What role did that play early on into what you're trying, the message you're trying to give back today? And I know Kyle wants to touch more as well on on Black History Month and, and, and some of the things you're doing. But just kind of how did that really play into the beginning of what your, uh, your I guess, your plan B and vision was? Uh I learned like earlier on in life, I was always, I was, I got cut off every team, except for one team in, in eighth grade, I did make the football team, but during the first scrimmage, I broke my wrist and I never got to officially play in the game, but they let me keep the Jersey for like the whole season. <laughs> <laughs> You're on the team. Hey, I'm on the team, boxers. Baby. Hey, boxers. Cause Ed Lattimore got cut from every team for the most part too. But like, you guys are one hell of an athlete, man. I would take you on my, my right. football team any day of the week. <laughs> they go out swinging, watching your boxing tapes. I'm like, goodness gracious. Oh, no, no, no. But if you if you look at the boxing videos, my boxing videos with a different eye, you'll notice like how everyone says I'm unorthodox. Uh, I'm just really clumsy, but I'm in very good shape. I'm not very strong at all. Like I don't. I've got like 400 fights. I don't have that many knockouts. Uh, all of my knockouts come from me punching a person until they can't like defend themselves anymore. And the rep just stops it. But I have, it's no, like not, there's no one punch knockout. I've just, I've, I know I'm not that strong person, but like I knew I, the universe has given me a certain amount of tools. Uh, and I'm just going to use my tools that's best to given to me. And I started to do that in boxing. Uh, I know my strength. It's not my strength. It's mind games. Uh, I don't know if Ed told you one of my favorite moves is if a guy throws a hook and I could counter it, I don't counter it. I duck under the hook. I turn his hips around and I pull him in 
and hump them slowly. <laughs> the reason why I do that is his, his mind is no longer on the game plan. If you emasculate a man like that, he throws every plan out the window. Now he's trying to take my head off. Boop, boop, I'm just touching him with jab. It's just a game. Sure, the gamification, the mind game, like you said, and to outlast and outwill because you're a counter puncher. I'm not a big boxer, so mind me, but I know you're a southpaw, which is a lefty, for those that don't know, and then you're a counter puncher, which does take, since you're not a knockout you know, specialist per se, that takes a lot of, like you said, stamina, mental and physical toughness, and it sounds like, as you mentioned, that does translate really well if it's a transferable skill set. You're self-aware of what your strengths are, and then you try to translate that into life, which is now you know, being impacting in multiple things and now being involved in, in a lot of schools, right? I know I, I saw in February alone this month, you have what, 25 things already set up and that could be even more with speaking to high school and middle school students, I'm sure others. And that's the one thing I want to transition to, especially with uh, in honor of Black History Month is what you're doing with diversity and inclusion. And can you go about the assembly, I believe it is campaign and what you're doing and you know, driving intent versus impact? Yeah, uh, actually in, uh, so in 2016, after I didn't make the Olympic team, I bought a van because someone made a joke that I'm a youth speaker and was like, you should live in a van down by the river. And I was like, I didn't even know that people could live in a van. And two weeks from when I heard that, I hopped on a, uh, I got on Craigslist and I, I took a train to Chicago and bought a van. Uh, I knew nothing about vans and I outfitted it. And my goal was to just travel around the country living in this van, speaking at schools. Uh, I've hit over 200 schools a year, but then after the pandemic stopped, uh, I, I didn't have any, I didn't, I didn't have anywhere to go. So, uh, bought a house and now I decided to do, uh, the whole George Floyd incident opened my eyes to a lot about what's going on in the world. Uh, and adults are afraid to talk about race for some reason, but students are, are they aren't. And that's why like the next generation is going to be so much better than we are. Like this next generation, they actually care, like roasting each other and just being mean to each other is like what my generation grew up on. That's how like, you know, that's how you told your friends you love them. And like this, this new generation, they have this crazy idea of actually telling each other they love each other and like actually caring about each other. So I was drawn to talk to them about, uh, just about cultural competence. And of course, I want to eventually get to the point where I'm talking to them about uh, race issues, power privilege in America. But I wanted to open the door to just talk about cultural competence. And one of the examples and why I chose Black History Month is I'm black, but I'm not African-American. Like my dreads are a part of my Trinidadian culture. My mom's from England. My dad's from Trinidad. Like in school, like Every, and, and I'm sure you, you're the same, every February I was told like Martin Luther King's blood runs through my veins and, and I, I sit with Rosa Parks and I, I march with Malcolm and, and I'm, I'm a proud African-American man uh, and I'm, I'm not African-American. And I feel like what we do with our school system is we just bunch all the dark kids together and give them a month. Uh, so what I want to do is talk to kids about cultures and how to talk about, talk to and communicate with people of different cultures. Uh, students are sharing about their cultures. I had uh, one Japanese student yesterday shared about communicating and looking at the floor when you're talking to the elders and how they had an issue with looking at teachers in their eyes. 
Like these are students that are in the class with other students and no one's talking about culture because it's like this thing we have to be hush hush about. We should celebrate it. And these students should know it is normal. It's not taboo to talk about race. I am black. You can see that. And to say otherwise is a lie. Wow. Why do you think that is such a difficult topic for adults to talk about? Because they were never spoken to about it as a child. That is the only reason. And anytime race is brought up, it's brought up in this hush hush weird way. I mean, let's say you're, you, you have a, a 14 year old son and you're like, all right, you, or whatever age. And you're like, let's have a talk about sex. You sit him down and you're like, uh, uh, so, uh, what I want to talk to you about is, and you make it a weird subject. Mm-hmm. People are going to take it weird. And it's going to be an uncomfortable thing to talk about with other people. I'm very open about talking about race. There's no taboo about it. I think I'm awesome. I changed my last name to awesome. That's how highly I think of myself. And still, I wouldn't want to live in a world where everyone looked at and thought just like the way I did. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah, no, I think that's, I think it makes, I mean, we're somewhat the same age, right? I think we're similar age. Similar. Ish to you. And you're right. I mean, I think looking back, and now we have kids under the age of five and under, both of us. And so they're going to start to be heading into the school systems. So that's good to know, right? Because we haven't embraced, we haven't, been part of the school systems now, but growing up, I think I would definitely acknowledge the fact that there wasn't a lot of conversation about it, which doesn't create open dialogue. Like you said, we're not educated or we're not influenced. And I had great parents that helped, you know, and I moved six times the first 16 years of my life through. So through life experiences and diverse cultures, I actually had the, thankfully had the opportunity to partake in uh, that helped open my eyes. But to those that, you know, live in that bubble, especially it's, it's definitely. Yes. And if you're in that, let's say you're, you're in that bubble and your whole school system. Cause when I grew up in where I graduated from New York, my graduating class, just under a thousand, zero white students. The only white yeah. people we saw were teachers. So I was in that bubble. And what happens when you step outside of that bubble to go to college or go to the working world culture shock. Yeah, We aren't actually preparing our kids to deal with, all the different cultures they're going to be running into in the future because they're going to, we're on a zoom call. We're talking to people from different places all the time. Like you're going to have to learn to communicate with those people respectfully. Uh, I think this is a, and I'm, I do this with adults. Uh, I, I speak to sales team, medical professionals, and uh, mostly uh, as well, uh, professional development workshops for educators to work to, help educators better communicate with their students and also their students' parents. Because a lot of times, you know, you have a a teacher of of one race who might not be familiar with, let's say a student from Pakistan, how to communicate with their parents. Uh, And there's a lot of tension and teachers are like walking on eggshells and we're all human. So we notice when people aren't comfortable around us. Uh, So I just want to open up this conversation to students, but also to adults. How did you, so we're, I'm a firm believer. We both played college or high school football, college football. And I think a lot of that diversity inclusion of understanding people coming from different cultures, you learn as we learned through one of our other guests, Bill Curry, you learn that through quote unquote, the huddle, the locker room, being on those teams, but not having played sports your entire life and being in a quote unquote single or individual sport and boxing, you know, 
what role did sports play in that for you? Oh, uh, every part. I, I didn't, I never been on a plane until I started boxing and I got to represent the U.S. in 30 countries. 29, I like to count the Vatican as a country because it gets my number to 30, but actually just 29 countries. Uh, so this is the but, comedy part of, right. of King yeah. coming out. No. I like it. <laughs> He's working his comedy. You're good, man. From yeah. MC to speaker to boxer back to comic. It's just like his Twitter page. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, it, it, I, and the cool thing is like when we go to these countries, we never get to, boxing's a poor man's sport in every, every part of the world. So like when we go to like, say we go to Dominican Republic, we don't go to like the five star hotels. We go to where the real fighters are and we go and we have to live amongst the people. We have to live the way they live. Like some of these places, like we always have running water. We always get a hotel with that. But I mean, some of these places we see, I got to see what actual poverty is. Like, yes, we have poor people in America, but it's different. We have here in America, we have sewage systems. Like it's not that these people are dirty. They don't have anywhere to put their stuff. Uh, so you, I got to, I got to see the world and actually got to see the not so great parts of the world, uh, which were also very beautiful as well. But I got to see the world because of boxing. And that's why I wanted to box it was not for championships or to turn pro to make a bunch of money. Uh, I don't know if Ed shared with you guys. I'm not that big a fan of boxing. If, if, if my friend is watching, if my friend is boxing, I'll watch it. But, I don't like love boxing like that. Yeah. Would you say then Cam, like those experiences, I think what, what it sounds like to me is that you created some gratitude for what you have. Right. Um, even in some of the diverse you know conditions you were experiencing from, you know, the most normal per se, quote unquote, would look at, you know, living in a van, traveling the world or, or traveling the country and then living on a friend's couch, so on and so forth. Would you say gratitude is an important element to someone to be happy or content in their spot in the world? Like how how does gratitude play into things? I struggle. It has to be, there has to be a balance. You should be, if you're, I'm, I'm afraid that if I'm too grateful, Mm -hmm. I'll become unambitious. And, and there's times where I feel like I'm being so ambitious that I'm not grateful. So like, my goal for January 4th, I set a goal uh, for February. My goal was to do 28 speaking engagements, right? Uh, I, I'm at 33 right now. And instead of being grateful, I woke up this morning in a complete panic. It's like the beginning of the month. My March, I have a March calendar here. My March calendar is empty. And I'm, I'm mad at myself that I allowed that to happen. I focused so much on February. And then I have to stop myself and say, I, I should be grateful that I have February. We still have February to go through. I can be ambitious about March, but I need to be happy that I got my goal and celebrate like yep. that. I got my goal was February. I got that done. So I think there's a balance of being grateful and being ambitious. Uh, but in terms of gratitude, yes, uh, I've gratitude. I mean, I'm the product of a bunch of help from a bunch of people. Uh, so I'm, I'll always, I'll always have gratitude. Be where your feet are at, for sure. We ready to get into uh, transition into our last segment? Are you got any? No, yeah. Let's more get in, nuggets. Let's get into rapid fire. Let's put Cam on the hot seat. Yeah. So at Cam, at the end of, uh, I don't know, he might have some. Com- he might pull the comedy card coming yeah, out here. Careful. Yeah. So we got to be. <laughs> he might switch some stuff up on us. But uh, 
Calvin, why don't you kick it off? He just sat up in his chair, took a sip. All right. I think he's <laughs> yeah. <ready. laughs> yeah his, he turned his hot seat on, yeah. you know, <laughs> level three up there. Yeah. So I played football years ago, 20 years ago in college, giving my dating myself. But before games, like I was listening to, you know, Jay-Z, Lil John, like just getting my mind right. You're a boxer and your pre is it true your pre-fight ritual was to turn on was to take a shower and just turn on some slow 90s r&b like how does that get your mind right man <laughs> you know baby making music and uh the week <laughs> the weekend trilogy album was the only exception to that playlist okay uh, but yeah uh i heard uh a, co- a coach alton from north carolina uh awesome dude he told me that michael jordan would take a shower before every game and I would, before every fight, I started taking a shower because I heard Michael Jordan did it. And if Michael Jordan did something, damn it, I should at least try it once. Uh, and I love karaoke and I love to sing in the shower. So why not kill two birds in one stone? And then during fight days, you have nothing else to do. So I just take long showers and it became like a thing. So, yeah. What's a, what's a, what's one go to? Baby making ninety song that you really enjoy singing. Uh, I would say, and and can can I say what I would answer this a few years ago? A yeah. few years ago, I would say uh, Contagion uh, with R. Kelly and Isley Brothers. Okay, okay, yeah, yeah. But now we can't listen to, to yeah, 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 yeah. We'll bleep R. Kelly out. And I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so speaking of staying on the music trend here, at one point you called yourself the Taylor Swift of boxing. So, uh, one, can you explain that? And two, uh, can you sing here on the Underdog Podcast any Taylor Swift? Uh, Okay, so here's a few things. I took boxing seriously to the point where I just, I wanted to win. I'm very competitive. I don't do, the type of person, I don't do game nights. Because I don't, my, I don't want to win to win. I just want to win to remind you that you're a loser because that's the competitive person I am. So like with, with interviews and with interviews, I try to be, I try not to come off as that person because I don't, there's no regulator to it. So I decided I'm just going to have fun with it. I'm not going to be a professional boxer. Like my goal wasn't to box. Right. So I didn't put any thought into it. So my goal was just to be goofy during every interview because I'm never on real TV. I'm always on some like Lincoln, Nebraska local station or something. So I, I quote people in interviews. I do goofy things and I do it with a, just a dry sense of humor. And I was in, uh, I found the Pan Am games in 2015 and I, I, I was very pissed because I thought I won this fight against Cuba and uh, I was going to lose my mind. Like, I got out the ring. I was mad. I was walking through the fan tunnel, you know, where you high five people, but no one high fives the loser. So that was awkward. And there's people like waving. This guy slapped his, his Cuban flag in my face. I didn't know why Cuban people were even in Toronto. That's a far away north from where they came. But like, I'm, I finally like make it to the back and, uh, Michelle, Michelle Collins, she like, she gave me the microphone. And like I looked down at the microphone, I'm like, it says ESPN, and I felt like a pressure of like no one, re- no one real has ever interviewed me before. Like I've done something, uh, 
So I decided to go with my heart and just make up a bunch of nonsense. Uh, and somehow it came out cool. But <laughs> so speaking of that, can you, do you know any Taylor Swift songs that you can sing maybe a, a line? No, no. So like I vomit words. If before I said that, if I were to be in a Walmart and Taylor Swift walked right by me, I wouldn't have known who she was. Like (laughs) when I was just talking, a a word came, her name came out of my mouth. I love it. (laughs) And it's good stuff. I love it. I love it, man. Um, I think there's two more. Yeah. Um, So what's your greatest strength in the ring? You say your speed, power, agility. And one word that caught my attention was charm. Yeah. Does that have something to, I I don't, I mean, I'm just, Charming someone in the ring. Maybe elaborate on that. Uh, there's, 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 there's different types of charm. Like being a creep is a charm in itself. It's not an appreciated charm, but it's a charm, right? Uh, there's things that I do to be charming. Like think about it. Before fight, you got your headphones on, you got your music going, you're in the zone. Like you have the gloves on, so you can't even take your headphones off. And as soon as they take your headphones off, it's your time to walk in the ring. You're mentally ready. You get halfway to the ring and someone taps you on the shoulder and it's me. And I just wanted to hug you and tell you good luck. I love it. Now, everyone's watching. So you have to display sportsmanship. I messed up your music. I messed up your ring walk. And now you have to hug me. (laughs) And then I jog back high-fiving people and then I come out in a pink skirt because I used to fight in a pink skirt just because I could uh it would say I heart boobs is for breast cancer awareness and now I get my my ring music what is it it's the national anthem why because I want to make the room awkward now everyone has to stop what they're doing stand up and pay attention to me by the time I get to the ring you are so pissed off at what is going on. And now you have to deal with me smiling in all pink. Uh, I think that's charm. If you ever, if you ever to say charm was a thing. Man, that's a mic drop right I'm, there. Uh, yeah. I'm not questioning that at all. That is oh. good stuff. Um, well, Cam, man, you were awesome. Got one more. Okay. You're going to do the one more. We got one more. We got one more. We got one more. He's going to slide another one in. I won't even touch on Chipotle. That's my favorite. I see you are a phenomenal um, chef, when it comes to remixing your 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 Chipotle, and I won't even touch on that. Yeah, you um, gotta check out his Twitter page, man. You, you gotta see what we're. Yeah, people probably think, ah, you know, everyone can remake a Chipotle. This guy, no, it's like a hundred. Give him a zero to a hundred, he's at a hundred. Man, it looks good. Made me so hungry at ten a.m. this morning when I was looking at your Twitter. So. All right, so we we did ask we asked your former roommate and 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 good friend Ed Lattimore, um, and. This is a question we want to ask yourself as well. Um, first, appreciate you taking time to join us on the show. But before you answer this question, it has to be someone, you know, you'd have to be willing to help us out with this. But who is one person that we should have on the Underdog Podcast? Ooh. Ooh. Uh, ooh. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry it took me so long. Franchon Cruz. Franchon The queen Cruz. herself. Franchon Cruz. Uh, she is one of my favorite human beings on the planet. Uh, I, there's to, to sum up who she is, she's a boxer. 
she was on American Idol in like 2002 and she didn't get to go. Uh, and in their post interview, she was like, well, if I'm not going to be the American Idol, I'm going to be the first female welterweight champion of the world. And like 11 years later, she finally like claimed her title. She's the, she, she's so, she's amazing. She's a beautiful singer. She's a dancer. She's a designer. Uh, she's, uh, a world champion. She's an amateur world champion. Uh, she is one of my favorite human beings in the world. I love this girl. Sounds like she should be named awesome. <laughs> oh, oh, no, no, In boxing, everyone says, uh, and, and I don't even feel slighted by this, they say I'm the male Franchon. There we go. So, okay. All right. Yeah. All right. All right, all right. I like it. Maybe you guys should. Uh, I don't know if you're married or not. I was gonna say maybe you guys should get married. Uh, he's got a girl. Remember? No, she's married, and her husband's a boxer too. Oh, okay, okay, okay. yeah. yeah. He, and he's just as awesome. Yeah, leave me out of any drama. Actually, yeah. Actually, uh, I don't know if I should choose him or her. They both have amazing stories. Maybe you could talk to them in tandem. Uh, That'd be cool. We yeah, yeah. We've They're both professional boxers. They both train together. They're, yeah, that's cool. Both yeah. champions. Yeah. We've never done that. Yeah. We'll appreciate it. Anyway, I know uh, you're Cam F. Awesome on Twitter. Any other ways for our audience to follow you? Yeah. I'm at Cam F. Awesome on everything uh, because I'm not famous enough for anyone to try to take my name yet. <laughs> hey, man. You got uh, your must follow. There's something about you guys, you and Ed, and man, you got like 40,000 tweets. You guys are just. I always wondered if you guys hired someone to, to kind of tweet as much as you have, but man, it's like almost a full-time job in itself to keep up with your Twitter page. Uh, I don't have a job. My hobby is speaking. Yep. Uh, and somehow that pays the bills. I get to do everything I want with my time in life. That's why I get to spend so much time remaking a Chipotle burrito. I love it, man. <laughs> you, you are awesome. Talk about living life to the fullest. Love it. Glad your uh, comeback story is great. You're impacting the world. If you're ever in Cincinnati, that's where we are. We would love to uh, to uh, go get a Chipotle with you. So um, keep us down. in mind as you're crossing through Cincinnati. When in doubt, um, you know things start opening up, which hopefully for all of our sakes, you know we can start traveling again. But uh, really appreciate your time today on the Underdog Podcast. All right, and go Chiefs. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Ooh. Okay. You beat my brownies. You beat my brownies, man. Those are, those are fighting party words. But you're the counterpuncher out to watch out. Yeah. yeah. You threw a hook at the yeah. end. Yeah. You're the uppercut. Yeah. Threw a uppercut. knockout. Uppercut. Yeah. Awesome, man. We well, appreciate your time. All right. Thanks, guys.